0: Brothers and sisters, hear the good news. We were once dead in our trespasses and sins, which we formerly walked according to the way of the world. We lived according to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. We indulged the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were nature children of wrath. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, made us alive together in Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. He's raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In short, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and that is nothing of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Brothers and sisters, having truly confessed our sins, God himself promises you the forgiveness of the Father, the victory of the Son, and the glory and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Believe upon this and rejoice. Let all God's people say, Amen. Amen. The reading of God's word this morning begins in Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us out of this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. Amen. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even though we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to that which you received, Let him be accursed, for I am now seeking, for am I now seeking the favor of men or of God, or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism. How I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. But when he who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. We'll turn now to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. We'll read verses 1 through 12. Now in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem was going out to him and all Judea and the district around the Jordan. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. And do you not suppose that you can say to yourself, We have Abraham for our father? For I say to you that God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham And the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. As for me, I I, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat into the barn but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. If you would now please turn to the back of your bulletin, we'll read together as a congregation, Psalm 19, verses one through 11. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made of the same essence as the father through him all things were made for us and for our salvation he came down from heaven he became incarnate by the holy spirit and the virgin mary he was made human he was crucified for us under pontius pilate he suffered and was buried the third day he rose again according to the scriptures he ascended to heaven and he is seated at the right hand of his father he will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead his kingdom will never end And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. We believe in one holy, catholic, and apostolic church. We affirm Uh, We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to life in the world to come. Amen? Amen. Father, now we come to hear your word and we pray that your spirit would speak to us and uh, enlighten us, help us to understand your word, and may he apply it in our lives. We all know we need different things from one another, and you know all of that. And so now, in your word, we entrust ourselves to you. For Christ's sake, amen. Well, so, Galatians, Galatians. Uh, I said to somebody, maybe it's the swan song. And then I'll be done. Anyway, I uh, taught Galatians several years back to the ladies' group. Sorry, ladies. And uh, I revisited it because I uh, am reading a book almost finished called Eschatology and History Jesus and the Promise of Natural Theology. It is a superb book. It has a little bit to do with Galatians, but not a lot. It comes from, uh, I'm reading the book, I heard the lectures some years back called the Gifford Lectures in uh, St. Andrews in Scotland, and uh, they were absolutely fabulous. And In all of that, it caused me to think about Galatians, and Galatians is not Revelation. Galatians is the New Testament book that troubles me the most, meaning I don't think it's that easy to understand. Galatians, of course, is famous because of Martin Luther, and Martin Luther's work in the Reformation to bring to prominence justification by faith alone in Christ alone. And uh, if you read his commentary, it's famous. I don't agree with it. Galatians is not about justification by faith alone. Galatians is about sanctification. Galatians is about living a holy life. It comes in three parts. The first part is uh, autobiographical as Paul defends himself vigorously because people are saying that he is not a true apostle. He received his apostleship from man. The second section is chapters 3 and 4, which is the highly doctrinal section And it has verses in it that are very famous to us, both in terms of chapter 4, where we receive the Spirit by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And in chapter 3, about Christ bearing the curse and uh, a a whole working through of uh, faith in chapter 3. Chapter 3 moves us towards sanctification, and in chapter 3, we have our greatest misunderstanding in Galatians. Galatians has a lot to do with one family. If you understand Galatians correctly, you will set aside the notion that God has two peoples, Israel and the church. It's quite clear in Galatians. There's only one people of God. Chapter 5 and chapter 6, especially chapter 5, of course, is famous because of what Paul has to say about walking in the Spirit. And uh, it is something, of course, that is a call to all of us in the Christian life. If you would, take your Bibles and turn to Galatians. We're just going to do a couple of skip-around jobs this morning and then uh, pick up the argument in uh, earnest next Sunday. Chapter, chapter 1 of Galatians, Paul says, Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him From the dead. And all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us out of this present evil age according to the will of God according to the will of our God, to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. Well, you can see Paul starts the book differently. He talks about his apostleship, but right away there's this parenthesis, and we know what one of the issues is. People are saying, oh, he, he's sent by men. He came through men. And that's why his gospel is wrong. And so... Paul is going to defend himself. The word in Greek for defending yourself is the word apology. Of course, it doesn't mean, you know, I apologize for upsetting you, anything like that. It means a defense, and it is a vigorous defense, and Paul uses it in other epistles. Sometimes people say to me, well, wait, Craig, I know they said wrong to you or wrong about you but it's you shouldn't defend yourself that's not paul's attitude of course what's at stake is very crucial it's the gospel because they're challenging paul to challenge the gospel and so paul says uh, you're you're wrong i wasn't sent by men i didn't come by the agency of men but by jesus christ and god the father and he then is writing to the churches of Galatia with the brothers that are with him, and he gives his general introduction or salutation, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, and we shouldn't just think of those as, oh, you know, that shows up in every epistle. Those are crucial. It's God's grace that brings life to us, and it's God's grace That settles us in peace, both with Him and those around us and ourselves. Everybody ought to be at peace with themselves because of the grace of God showered upon us through the cross. And uh, so, as He gives this grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, then He gives this summary statement about this epistle, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us out of this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. So three things. Who gave himself for our sins. The word salvation is not used one time in Galatians. The word saved is not found in Galatians. You barely find the topic of sin. When you go to Romans, you find sin everywhere in Romans, and you find the word salvation everywhere in Romans. So these two epistles have some similar ideas, but they're not exactly similar. They're different. And he says here that Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins. And, of course, that's exactly what we have been taught, and it's proper to the gospel. Jesus Christ went to the cross. Central in Galatians is the cross of Christ. Jesus Christ went to the cross, and he bore our sins in his body, and he was nailed to the tree, and he left our sin there. He was buried, and he rose again. He gave himself for our sins. He handed himself over for our sins. That should uh, startle us every time we see it. It is incredible, unimaginable, that someone would take a curse upon himself so that other people would go free. It's unfathomable that Jesus Christ would allow God to put his anger on him instead of us. But of course, that becomes the depth of his love for us, it's the demonstration that Jesus loves us because when you love somebody you sacrifice for them that that's really what love comes down to he gave himself for our sins we sometimes take those words too easily What's going to be argued against, not in our terminology, but I'm going to use our terminology in Galatians, is easy believism. When you get to chapter 5, it's those who have the fruits of the Spirit who are going to inherit the kingdom. Those who walk in evil deeds are not going to get to inherit the kingdom of God no matter how many times they say i believe in jesus and his cross he gave himself for our sins and then secondly that he might deliver us out of this present evil age now the word age is eon in greek and uh, that's what the word is here. And it's a word that's used throughout Matthew. It's used, you know, all over. When you see forever and ever, it's it's the word, age after age, that's the word. It's the same word. And then this this is uh, spoken of, for example, at the end of Matthew chapter 28. I'll be with you till the end of the age. So, Paul is thinking about age now, and an evil age. What is that evil age? Well, of course, uh, it's not defined here, but one can make an attempt to define it and come to grips with it. Turn, if you will, to chapter 6 of Galatians. Verse 11, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. So Paul works through an amanuensis. He dictates his letters. And then sometimes he picks up the pen, particularly at the end of the letter, to say something personal or some last comment, and to identify himself, to authenticate his letters. Here he says large letters, and because uh, of chapter 4 where it said you would have plucked out your eyes for me. Some people think Paul had an eye condition. Uh, that's uh, that's hard to prove. Large letters probably has more to do with the fact that Paul is emphasizing what he's writing. Those who desire to make a good show in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised. Simply that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. So now we don't know exactly what's going on. We know from some extra literature things that were going on around them. And we simplify by saying, okay, well, what you got is you got Jewish people over here and you got Gentile people here and the Jewish people are trying to get the Gentile people circumcised. There's truth to that. But how does it keep the Jewish person from being persecuted? They're only doing it so they can avoid persecution. So that's part of the context that surrounds Galatians. Uh, he says then in verse 12, Those who desire to make a good show in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised, simply "...that they may not be persecuted for the cross of, of Christ. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh." But may it never be that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither is circumcision anything, nor uncircumcision, but new creation." And those who will walk by this canon, that's the word, peace and mercy be upon them and upon, my text says, and upon the Israel of God. Some texts say uh, mercy and peace be upon them, even the Israel of God. Well, we're not going to dispute that right now. Maybe when we get to the end, we'll talk about that. But just notice Over here in the beginning, I'm going to deliver you out of this present evil age and down here at the end in the conclusion. Circumcision doesn't matter, not even uncircumcision. What matters is new creation. So when you read you're beginning to think well you know some people think circumcision has something to do with creation Mm, that may be true it probably has more to do with the fact that uh, the Jewish people who lived in Rome under Caesar's rule were commanded to worship the idols of Caesar and all the idols around if you've been to different countries where you can see idols carried you know they the times i've been to india they just bring them out in the street stop all the traffic they're going through their holy day doing what they're doing march around with them and you got to wait for them to be done everybody does it that's what happened in rome everybody worshiped and if you didn't worship they didn't have fences around their property They didn't live on acres or even large lots. They're all shoved up again. They know what everybody's doing. There's no privacy. But the Jewish people gained an exemption to worship their God only and to pray for Caesar. This is where this mixes in then. So some... Gentiles become Christians. And these Gentile Christians want to associate with Jewish Christians. And Jewish Christians are noted as Jews because they're circumcised Jews. And these Gentiles aren't circumcised and they're Christians. And if they move in on their territory, this may upset all the difficulty the Jews have with Rome. So they want people to get circumcised. Paul strictly forbids it in chapter 5. And even in the book of Corinthians, in a completely different context, in fact, it's right in the middle of two halves about marriage in chapter 7. It says, you know, in the condition in which God calls you, then remain in that condition. And then he talks about two conditions when the topic is marriage and not being married. He talks about two different things, and one of them is circumcision. Were you circumcised when you were called? Don't become uncircumcised. Were you uncircumcised when you were called by Christ? Do not become circumcised. Well, so the stress, though, for us is, I want to deliver, I'm going to deliver you out of this present evil age and i'm going to put you into a new creation well the new creation when does it start in a second corinthians chapter 5 if any man is in christ it says in some translations he is a new creation that's not really what it says if any man is in christ behold new creation now is the man or the woman who's come into Christ created anew? of course but Paul's got a broader thought behold not look you're a new creation behold new creation because new creation started when Jesus Christ rose from the dead in Jewish thought and you can see it in the Bible if you look carefully. And we've talked about it before. There are, well, there are ages, but there are two particular ages in Jewish thought. And the first age is what we just might call the Jewish Moses age. <laughs> and that age. Just broadly, it runs from creation all the way down to, well, when it ended, A.D. 70. And then there's a Messianic age, because all Jews were looking for Messiah, who's going to come and deliver them out from Roman rule and set Israel up as the premier nation over all the nations. They're looking for Messiah. And Messiah came in A.D. 30, and the Messianic age began. And so from A.D. 30 to A.D. 70, as we've been saying, there were two ages running simultaneously. The old age and the new age. And then the old age ended in A.D. 70. Guess what? You live in the new age. So what does it mean to be delivered from this present evil age? Our age is still evil, isn't it? We, we, we live amongst evil people, evil governments. We live among people who are scheming, plotting, ready to kill, do anything to get money. It's, it's evil out there. But it says, I, he delivered us from this present evil age. He bore our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age. Well, just to put it briefly then, what he's saying is an age has been running that's evil and boom, it stops and there has been a new age that started. And when the evil age stops, we're in the new age. Now, what could we say it is? Well, very simply, just putting thoughts from the Bible together. If we went to Daniel, we have a statue, and the statue crumbles when this stone hits it in the feet, and you're looking at an age, Babylon, all the way down to Roman. Boom, it's gone, and what's left now? Well, the kingdom of Jesus Christ starts up. Or, look at Daniel chapter 7, where you have the monsters, the creatures, and The judgment seat is set. They're going to be judged. And in that context, one like a son of man comes with the clouds. And he's presented before the ancient of days. And then you read the end of the chapter, what happens? These monsters have been judged. And what's left? Well, the one like a son of man with God's people. A new kingdom. This is what Paul is talking about. But we're running simultaneously during the book of Galatians. It, the book of Galatians may be the first, I don't think it's the first book, but it may, it may be the first epistle. There, James may be the first epistle, Galatians may be the first epistle, and 1 Thessalonians, they're all in the running. But Galatians was written, we pretty much know, around 45 A.D., we we can figure that out because of certain events, so it, it's an early epistle. So there's there's still uh, 25 years till A.D. 70, and so we have two ages running simultaneously. And what's happening in in Galatians is, well, they're confronted with the evil age, but they have the hope that this evil age is, is going to disappear because this is why Jesus Christ died for our sins, to deliver us from the present evil age. Well, the evil age has to do with, with the temple. And we see this from the Gospels. So temple, temple is, you know, tabernacle and temple, They're built horizontally, but they're a picture of being vertical by bronze, silver, gold. You're working your way up. And what they are is a physical, an appearance of an intersection between heaven and earth. Because when you go all the way into the holiest of holies, you are in God's throne room, heaven. But of course, you're still on the earth. It's a picture of the intersection between heaven and earth. And when that crumples, when it's destroyed, there is no intersection between heaven and earth. And so when you're a Jew and you go to the holy place, it's it's called the holy place because it's heaven and it's holy. And so you have holy space And you can't just walk wherever you want to. There are guards watching out to make sure unclean people like us don't come in. But it's holy space. And when God calls, which He calls on the Sabbath day for people to come, it's holy time. Because you're coming to the intersection between heaven and earth, men and women meeting with God on the day God rested the Sabbath. So the Sabbath is a, the temple's a picture of the heaven we can't see, and the Sabbath is a presentation of the final rest. So on Saturday, on the Sabbath, you go to temple or of course, everybody can't make it there. So you go to synagogue and there you have your holy convocation and you're meeting with God in a holy space and in a holy time. God and men are together. And that's why the Sabbath is so important. It's a picture of, of the rest that lies ahead. Okay, so when the temple gets smashed, you have no intersection between heaven and earth. And consequently, your holy time is over. You can't meet with God anymore on the Sabbath. That intersection's gone. Except in the new creation. In the new creation, a new temple comes. And it's a people temple. And the people temple meets once a week. And it is a intersection between heaven and earth. We meet with God, and it's a holy time. So I was uh, meeting with someone the other day, a young man. And uh, he said because of work, he had to miss three Sundays at church. He said it really bothered him. And well, I said, why did, you bo- why did it bother you? Well, because I couldn't meet with the Lord, with his people, and I couldn't eat at the table. Now, he's got the right idea. On the other hand, we have people who think okay, we are, and we're going to talk about this in Galatians, we are delivered from the law. We're not under law, we're under grace. And so a few years ago, when I was still meeting with that pastor's group, you know, it had, I don't know, 18, 20 pastors in it, supposedly all Reformed. They weren't all Reformed, but supposedly they were all Reformed. And we uh, we would present papers, you know, different guys were asked to present papers uh, on a certain topic. We'd eat lunch and then listen to a paper for about an hour, and then fight over it for the next half an hour. I I mean, really. And one of the best fighters? Yeah, me. (laughs) Anyway, uh, we had had a, a talk about the Sabbath. I was not the one presenting it. And we were comparing it to the first day of the week, are they the same, and so forth and uh, the general conclusion was no we're not under law like that they're not the same so i said i said to the presenter i said so is it okay to go to six flags during church on sunday oh yeah we're not under law is that really what not under law means So we're delivered out of the present evil age which has a temple in their day with with the one who made desolate by saying we have no king but Caesar. It's an evil place and it's the nexus between heaven and earth and so Heaven wants nothing to do with it. Boom, it's judged. And instead comes the body of Christ. I, I, I want to be careful because somebody accused me of uh, replacement theology. Well, that's, that's one of those tricky terms where you say, well, the, the church replaced Israel. Well, I don't think I would want to say it that way. But remember, when Jesus died and rose again, he had not 11 apostles in the beginning of Acts. He had 11, and then a 12th was added. And when you work your way through Acts, this is Israel. King Jesus seated up in heaven, and 12 tribes, one-man tribes. Good enough? Going out and what happens is eventually they get to Gentiles and then they got to figure out about the gospel and so chapter 10 of Acts is about that with respect to Peter how could we refuse baptism of these who have believed and they are speaking how could we refuse baptism what does baptism mean it means to come into Jesus Christ so first We just have the 12 going out, and then Gentiles start coming in, and what are they in? Well, they're in Jesus Christ. And what is Jesus Christ, the body of Christ? It's the connection right now between heaven and earth. And so every Sunday when we come, this room, which is just a regular room, is holy space. Because truly God is here. And it's holy time. We're meeting with him, and we're going to eat at his table. He's invited us to his house to eat his holy food. So, Paul's telling the Galatians, you're delivered out of this evil age. Well, what's in the evil age that you don't find in the new creation? Circumcision. Circumcision. No more. Now, I'm talking about requirement. Over here, it's a required. You're going to be in the covenant? You've got to be circumcised. Over here? No, you're not circumcised to be in the covenant. And now, circumcision becomes the, the tool to put down Gentile Christians and make a division. I'm thinking my time must be gone. Anybody? What time is it? Okay, good. We're good then. Uh, That made me lose my train of thought. So, I want to add one more thing. And this is crucial. So I said it before, but if you think, if you think your way through Galatians, and in just a minute we'll read a passage and close with it. First, I'm going to describe one. The big problem shows up in chapter 2 when Peter, who's eating with all the Gentiles, some people come down from Jerusalem, and they say they're from James, and so suddenly... Uh, Peter's afraid of the circumcision so everybody's eating together over here and now Peter goes over here and eats with the circumcision and the the Gentiles are left by themselves and it it got to be such a point that, that Barnabas went over too and so Paul calls him on the carpet and this is where you hear about the life that I now live I live in the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. This is where justification first crops up in Galatians. And it comes in a context where Paul is rebuking Peter for what? Making it look like there are two peoples of God This is crucial. History, eschatology, Jesus, and the promise of natural theology. This is crucial. There's one family of God. As they say, they use this terminology, we are a fictive family of God. Well, fictive comes from the word fictitious, but it's not meant to mean that. A fictive family is a group of people, well, you can't say that at McKinney Bible Church because there are a lot of blood ties here. But a fictive family is a whole bunch of people who are not tied together by blood. They're tied together by being in Christ, having the Holy Spirit. Well, our time is about gone, so turn, if you would, to chapter 3. And chapter 3 is a finely woven argument that we will make our way through. But notice in verse 24, Paul says, So then the law uh, the law was our tutor until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, We are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all one, you are, excuse me, you are all sons of God through faith for as many of you as are baptized into Christ, you come into Christ, have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And this is the clincher. This right here, the whole chapter is leading to this point. This is the clincher. This destroys certain eschatologies if you know how to read, and if you are Christ, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to promise. Chapter 4 is going to describe heirship according to promise. Ishmael was born under a bond woman. Isaac was born under a free woman. But Isaac was a son of promise. Abraham and Sarah could not have children. He was a son of promise. God had to step in and do what we call a miracle for a birth. Jesus says to the Jews... Don't say we have Abraham for our father. God can step in and turn stones into children of Abraham. And that's just what he has done. He's taken hard-hearted Gentiles and he's given them a new heart and a new spirit And they've come to faith in Christ. And now what are they? Well, the terminology is not going to last. But they are Jewish. They're Abraham's seed. Heirs according to promise. One people of God. Not two. This is crucial. Very important. And we'll see... Some reasons why. So, he's talking about Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that we might be delivered from this present evil age to the glory of God the Father. Let's stand. Father we want to thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ we thank you that you sent him to become one of us and we thank you that he's loved us to the uttermost and we thank you that in our place he was hung on a cross and all our sins were laid on him and you punished him for our sin and he was buried And he rose again the third day according to the scripture. And now he's seated at your right hand. And he is head of McKinney Bible Church. And we thank you that you did this so that we would not be in the present evil age of the days when Paul was writing. But that we would be in the new creation And we thank you that it has begun in Jesus and it is spreading all over this globe as men and women and young people come to faith in Christ. We thank you that your church is getting larger and larger. And we thank you that one day it will cover the earth like the water covers the sea. We thank you that the end of Revelation says, Behold, I'm making all things new. And we thank you that we live in the days that you are making all things new. Give us grace. Give us mercy. And give us love for you. In Christ's name, amen.